good morning. If you've got a Bible, we are going to head today to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. Our series is called All is Grace. We spent this summer in the Gospel of John. And once again, just want to invite you to join me for a moment as we just uh, quiet our hearts and our minds, kind of settle ourselves uh, <clears throat> to hear from the Lord today. I don't know what you've come in with. Uh, maybe you've come in this week rejoicing. Maybe you've come in this week with a big decision to make. Maybe it's been a frustrating week. Regardless of how you've come today, let's just take a moment, quiet ourselves, and open ourselves to hear whatever it is that God wants to say to us this morning. Amen. Have you ever been disappointed? Disappointments come in variety of expressions, varying degrees. I used to eat at this restaurant called Johnny Carino's, and they had this dish called Italian nachos, which combined my two favorite food groups, Mexican and Italian into one. One day I showed up and they took it off the menu. I was so disappointed. I never went back. Other disappointments are a bit more weighty. Not getting chosen for the promotion. Maybe not getting the job. Other disappointments are heartbreaking. Maybe you desperately want a child in each month brings more disillusionment as the pregnancy test says negative once again, something I completely and wholly identify with. For others of us, maybe the relationship ends or maybe the one that you love does not reciprocate. Maybe there was a loss. Someone died suddenly, you don't know why, and it has left you disappointed and disillusioned. We all experience disappointment. It's really hard, however, when a person that you really love and trust becomes the source of your disappointment. That's what happens in today's story in John chapter 11. Jesus is going to disappoint in a fairly profound way two sisters who love and who have placed all their trust in him. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory, for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to the disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you want to go back? Jesus answered, 
Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. All right, that clears it up. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go there and wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. So Jesus has a relationship with his family. Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. These were not random people. These weren't just people who were following him from afar. He was really, really close to them. He stayed with them. He shared many meals with them, probably Italian nachos from time to time. They were like family. So these two sisters, they send word to Jesus saying, Lord, the one that you love is sick. Like your best friend, this one that you're close with, he's sick. Now, When they sent word, they were not simply supplying Jesus with information. This was a request. Much like when my wife says, the garbage is full. She's not updating me on the status of the trash can. There's a request being made. So when Martha and Mary say to Jesus, the one that you love is sick, what they're saying is, you know that power that you have? You know that thing you did when you opened the eyes of the blind man? We could really use a little bit of that right now. Because, I mean, what would you do if someone that you deeply, deeply cared about was sick? Like on their deathbed sick. I mean, I know what I would do. I would rush to them. I would go to the hospital or to their home or wherever it was. That's what we do as human beings. Like when I was in college, I got really, really sick. I was about 22 years old. I was in Missouri. And I mean, I got really sick. Not like I'm sick and I want sympathy, but I got an infection in my jaw, which was traveling to my brain. The side of my face swelled to the size of a softball. It was off. I mean, I was like sick, sick. I was in so much pain that I called my mom. Because what else do you do when you're in pain? You call your mama. So I called my mom and I'm just bawling on the phone. And you know what my mom did? She got on an airplane and she came and when she saw me, she looked at me and she said, oh my God, which is not what you want to hear because your mom is supposed to come for you. But that's not what happened. But Jesus hears his friend is sick and he says, well, this sickness will not end in death. And then Jesus makes three very unexpected moves, which I believe are really important for us to remember, especially when we're in the midst of a disappointment especially if the source of our disappointment is God. So quick spoiler alert. I don't like it when people tell me how the story ends, but I'm going to at least tell you partially how it ends. Lazarus dies. Sorry, I know you're shocked. But Jesus never said he wouldn't die. Jesus just said, the story doesn't end in death. 
It does not end in death. It's not over till it's over because Jesus always has the last word in everything. This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. There is something eternally significant in that statement that Jesus makes if we choose to open ourselves up wide enough to hear it. If you understand the trajectory and movement of the Bible, what you see is that beginning in the Old Testament all the way until the very last book of the Bible, Revelation, God's mission is to redeem all things and reveal his glory in all things. Now that begs the question, especially in a story like this, a question that can cause us to get a little irritated or frustrated depending on how we were raised religiously. But the question is, does God cause all things to happen? Now, some things, yes and absolutely. But that doesn't mean God causes all things. Like, I believe that that God redeems all things, that he works in all things, that God is sovereign, that God has his own providence. There are things I don't understand that he allows to happen. But like, I don't believe the scripture teaches God causes all things. A statement which got me into trouble once when I was speaking at a retreat, some guy walked up to me and said, well, then you need a lesson in God's sovereignty and providence. And to that I said, well, let me ask you a question based on a real scenario that I've experienced. A father abuses his daughter in the most horrific in disgusting of ways. Do you believe that God caused that? Because if you believe God caused that, then you and me are reading a very different Bible. Well, I don't believe that God specifically causes all things evil things. I do believe he redeems them all and works in them all. The Apostle Paul writes in the book of Romans chapter 8, and this is what we know. That in all things, underline it, highlight it, circle it, in all things, God does work for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Regardless of the depth of your disappointment, regardless of the questions that you have, the frustrations that you're experiencing, if we open ourselves up to the possibility that God is sovereign, then we can say, yes, God does work in all things for his purpose. So back to the story, John 11. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. I'm going to pay attention to the word so. That's a really weird word to have right there. I think the word but would be a bit more appropriate. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, but when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Almost like, like he maybe he heard he was sick, but he had some other stuff he had to do. He was working other miracles. Maybe he was doing something else. But the word is, is so. The word so implies that he let Lazarus die. He waited long enough to make sure Lazarus was dead because something bigger was happening here. Verse 17, so Jesus then goes, and on his arrival, 
Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. It's very important to note in this story that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. And it's important because in, like, in Jewish myth, it was believed that a person wasn't dead dead until day four. Like, if you've ever seen the movie The Princess Bride, any fans of the movie The Princess Bride, there's a scene in, in our hero is is laying on a table and the, the, the wizard looks at him and goes, well, he's only mostly dead. If you've never seen the movie, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Go watch it. It's awesome. It was believed that a person's soul hovered near or over the body <clears throat> days one, two, and three. But then when it notices on day four that the body's begun to decay, it then leaves. Tradition tells us that some Jews would go back to check on the body days one, two, and three just to make sure the person had not come back to life. So what John wants us to know is that Lazarus, like he's dead, dead. Like he's, there's, he's not coming back. But Jesus walks in and says, no, 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 no. It's not over till it's over. Matter of fact, it's not over till I say it's over. This doesn't end in death. But, but he's dead. No, this doesn't end in death. Now what Jesus does experience when he arrives are two grieving sisters. And what Jesus does, this is the second movement, is Jesus makes this situation incredibly personal. Jesus responds personally and individually to our disappointments and moves beyond cheap answers and religious cliches. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them with the loss of their brother. When Jesus heard, when Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, <clears throat> my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know, I know, I know. He'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe you're the Messiah, the son of God, who is to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When, Jesus, when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforted her, noticed how quickly she had got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked Come and see, the Lord replied. And Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. 
But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Both of these sisters make the same statement. If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus, where were you? We sent word like five days ago. That statement is seeped in profound, profound disappointment. And Jesus responds to their disappointment, though they ask the same question in very, very different ways because they needed distinctive things. See, what Martha needed, Martha needed to hear truth. She needed a theological response. She needed assurance from her faith. Let's go back to the story, verse 21. Lord Martha said, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother's going to rise again. And Martha answered, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, no, listen, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. So see, Martha's words are a combination of grief and faith all mixed into one. Her brother has died. She's incredibly devastated, but she believes he's going to rise again in the last day. And she makes a statement, like an abstract statement, concerning the end times by saying, well, I know, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection, but truth is, Jesus, I'm hurting right now. It's kind of like when we experience the death of a loved one and we're grieving, but we say, well, at least they're in a better place. Like that's Mary's place and position. And so what Je- Martha's position. So what Jesus does is he leads Martha to a deeper level of discussion. And he says, no, listen, I, I'm the resurrection and the life. The thing that you're hoping for and believing in, it's not somewhere in the future. It's right here, right now. When Jesus made that statement, I am the resurrection and the life, he was introducing two separate but complementary ideas. I mean, yes, he's, I'm the resurrection. Someday, we're all going to rise. We're going to be resurrected. And at the same time, I've come to offer life right now, even in the midst of your deep disappointment. Sometimes, when we're in that kind of place, what we really need is to hear the rich theology and truth of our faith to affirm what it is that we believe because it's the very foundation that we stand upon. It's the thing that we grasp for. We find that affirmation throughout the scripture in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you just do a survey, I mean, listen to the truth of what we believe. The book of Lamentations, chapter three, verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's our truth. Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19, and my God will, he will, he will, he will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. First Peter chapter 5 verse 7, cast all of your anxieties on him. Because he cares for you. Like this is our, this is our truth. This is what we believe. God's love never ceases. You can trust him. He'll take care of your needs. He does all things. He works all things together for the good of those who love him. 
But then there's Mary. Mary needs something very, very different. What Mary needs is compassionate presence, not a sermon. Verse 32. So when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Jesus was Mary. He didn't talk theology. He wasn't dropping truth bombs. He didn't quote the scripture to her. He simply met her in her grief and her emotion. Now, Jesus walked into an incredibly overwhelming scene, well, overwhelming, overwhelming scene of grief. I mean, Jewish funerals were very, very different than what we, what we do around here. Like, if someone dies in our day, there's usually, you know, there's, there's a viewing or a wake, and then the next day there's the service, or some days we just do it all in one day. Jesus' day, seven days. Funeral lasted for seven days. Now, we tend to kind of sterilize it. We try to, we outsource death. We kind of take the emotion out of it. But like in Jesus' day, like you got sick, you died, and your funeral was all in your house. It was all right there. People were surrounded by death. And families, even poor families, were expected within those seven days. First, they were expected to hire at least a couple of musicians to play sad songs for seven days. They were also expected to hire at least one professional wailing woman. There were people who made their living by going to funerals and grieving and weeping and wailing out loud. I couldn't do that, but they did it. Now, Mary and Martha, they weren't poor. And so there was probably multiple musicians, multiple people wailing. And Jesus walks into this whole scene and we read he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. That phrase deeply moved, it just doesn't mean he was like, oh, it's not what the, that's not what the Greek language, it, it, like if you read it literally, that phrase literally means the snorting of horses. That's what it means. Or he snorted like a horse, meaning essentially that he kind of walked in and went, <sighs> and he was troubled. It means he was irritated. So Jesus walks into this scene, and this is what John's recording. He walks in and basically goes, what? What's happening? Why would he do that? I don't think it was because of the deaths of Lazarus. Because Jesus knew exactly what he was about to do. What I think, what I believe And what many theologians believe is that Jesus was grieved and tired by it all. The lack of faith, the brokenness of the world, the pain that death brings, the hopelessness, the plight of humanity. Because listen, I think we, we live in a dichotomy in our age. And the dichotomy is this. Our world is filled with so much good, so much beauty, so much kindness, so much redemption, so much joy, so much peace, food trucks in the parking lot. I mean, just life is good. And at the same time, our world is filled with evil and pain and anger and brokenness and hate and hurting one another and division. 
And sometimes don't you just kind of look at it all and just you just get sick of it? Like sometimes I get so sick of it, I just kind of want to just lay down in a fetal position and take a nap and just forget about it all. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus walks in and, all right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this mess and I'm going to redeem it. And I'm going to redeem it for the glory of God and I'm going to do it by taking this guy who's dead and I'm going to make him not dead. And in doing so, Jesus confronts a culture of death and calls us into fullness of life. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there's a bad odor because he's been in there four days. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, and his hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, I, I want you to, like, just imagine this for a second. Just step into the story. Let's just, I mean, we read, many of you have read this story a bunch of times, and it's just become familiar. All that was great. But I want you to just, let's contextualize it. Imagine you're at a funeral. Here, there's a casket. I'm about to pronounce the benediction. Someone walks down the side of our aisle, speaks a word, and the person in the casket sits up. Like, what would you do, right? You'd freak out. So this guy's been in the tomb for four days, and all of a sudden Jesus speaks and he comes out. And Jesus doesn't just whisper, come on out, Lazarus. There's this shout of raw authority. This is who I am. I'm the redeemer. I'm the resurrection. I'm the miracle worker. I'm the guy that causes all things to work together for good for those who love him. That's who I am. See, this story isn't about Lazarus. This story is about Jesus. This story is about the redeemer. The story is about the one who is who he said he was and does who he says what he does. This is what it means. This story is about what it means to face disappointment. This story is about what it means to face grief. This story is about what it means to face the death, face the grave in the company of Jesus. In the book of First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, the apostle Paul writes, and now dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know the, what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will, know, will not grieve like people who have no hope. Because here's, listen, you're human, you're going to grieve. You're going to experience loss. You're going to experience disappointment. There's a big difference between hopeless grieving and hopeful grieving. We do not grieve as those who have no hope. So when you're disappointed, which you will be eventually, if you're not right now, remember the words of Jesus. It doesn't end in death. 
meaning I always have the last word. I am the one who causes all things, even the most despicable of things, even the most unthinkable of things, even the things you don't fully understand. I cause all things to work together for the good of those who love me. And because I believe that, Jesus also says it's personal. And I will meet you exactly where you are, giving you exactly what you need. For some of us, we just, we're like Martha. We need to hear the deep truth of our faith. For others of us, we just need compassionate presence. Jesus meets you in the middle of your need. And he makes a statement, and I do it all for the glory of God, to reveal who I really am, to prove to a hurting world that I can do what I say I can do. So this morning, maybe you're wrestling with a disappointment. I want you to join me in doing something, if that's you. If you would just take your, lift your palms up. I, I, this is nothing magical about this. This is just, a, I believe, just a, a symbol of not only receiving, but also releasing. I mean, maybe you're disappointed because, I don't know, you, your favorite restaurant stopped serving your favorite dish. I, I get it. I like Italian nachos too. But maybe you're disappointed because your career is not where you hoped it would be. It's not going like you imagined. Maybe your kids, they're being a pain. And they're not doing what you hope they do and they're not living the life you hope they'd live and you're disappointed. Maybe your marriage is not what you dreamed of. Maybe you got a call this week and it was not the news you wanted to hear. So Lord, some of us are disappointed today. We prayed and it didn't happen. But we prayed, and it still happened. Some of us here are a little inconvenienced. Others of us are irritated, and others of us are just plain old raw. And so we hold our expectations and your actions in tension. We hold life and death in its tension, believing that it it doesn't end in death, that you have the last word. Because for you, it's personal. And for you, it's for your glory. And so today, oh God, we release our disappointments and we receive the one who is the resurrection and the life. Amen. Amen. As we end this morning, I want to invite you to stand as we sing a final song of worship to our God.